like we, again we realized in june when we planned the first chosky challenge race that like we as the athletes have a lot of power that we have you know we're all connected to each other we all everyone kind of knows each other or at least through like one degree of separation it's pretty easy to get in touch with each other and we realized like if we all just agree to do something it becomes big because the media will follow the high level athletes and once the media come then the sponsorship money comes and the audience comes and it becomes a big thing and that's you know we saw this happen with the first Chelsea challenge race and like it all happened in like a week and a half it was like the craziest week and a half ever it went from like a very small thing on our team to like this huge you know international event and that's really what we started thinking about with the 50k um with the unofficial world was like we know like most of the good ultra runners in the world or at least we're connected to them and if we could just get everybody to agree hey we're all just going to target this race we're going to follow these rules um you know we as chosky just pitched a bunch of prize money at first and said hey this is what we're putting up um to kind of get that critical mass started like once you have the critical mass of athletes involved then everything else will follow like the athletes and and that's again as someone who's been a pro athlete for a while and been involved with different sponsorships and seen a lot of the inside of the sport and stuff like the athletes have a lot of power and i think that a lot of the time we feel like we don't because we are beholden to you know the shoe companies or you know the the federations but we don't need a federation to put on a badass event you know we can just put it on ourselves and that's what we learned in June and that's and that's what I'm hoping to do you know both in September and November and then going forward Welcome to the Run Culture podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced runner and running physiotherapist. I created this podcast not only so I had an excuse to talk running each and every week, something that I love to do, But more importantly, this podcast gives me the opportunity to interview fellow runners, friends and health professionals in a relaxed and easygoing format. This podcast is designed for the everyday runner, so we can all live, learn, grow and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Run Culture Podcast. Today, I'm very privileged to be talking to US marathoner Tyler Andrews. He's a professionally sponsored Hocker Une Une marathoner and ultra runner from the USA. He's a 215 marathoner, was a silver medalist at the 2016 50K World Championships, is the second fastest American ever over 50 kilometers, having the fastest known 50 kilometer track time ever in the world of two, two hours 46.06. He's also the second fastest ever in the world for a treadmill half marathon, having an incredible 63.38 time to his name, which is 3.01 per kilometer. He's the founder of Chasky Endurance Collective, which is an online coaching service. He's the co-director of Strive International Running Trips. Uh, and what I do like most about his story is um, I like a lot of runners that improve at an incredible rate and defy the odds, and Tyler is one such runner. So welcome to the podcast, Tyler. Thank you, Dave. I'm so excited to be here. And I, I just one really quick correction. You shouldn't re-record it, but I want to give a shout-out to my co-Chosky coach, Kyle Masterson from the U.S., who just ran 
faster than me for 50K. So I'm currently the number three U.S. all-time because it was Josh Cox with the American record. And then Kyle Masterson ran 244.38, which I we think was the number four all-time, like around the world. Um, and yeah, so he's now number two in the U.S. and I'm number three. So I just, just want to give him all the credit where credit is due. Yeah, nice, nice. Uh, probably, um, yeah, I probably want to start there because uh, I listened to a really good interview that you had um, on the Strength Running podcast with Jason Fitzgerald and it was just before you had you did the time to fly 50k world record attempt um, on the track uh, in 2018, and you detailed your training for that race. And um, yeah, I think you're you're like how I how you got on my radar is you're really good at goal setting and sharing your goals. And um, yeah, how how important do you think that is in running? And um, yeah to stay accountable and, uh, and, and, uh, yeah. How, how important is important is goal setting? I think it's probably the most critical part of running really, because if you don't have something to work toward, and I guess when I say you, I should mean, I should say I, when, when I don't have something to work towards, I feel a little bit lost. And I think that the thing that has kept me motivated all the years you know, I've been running for 12 years now at a pretty high level, and it's always been about finding my limits and figuring out how can I push myself harder? How can I do this thing a little bit better? And sometimes that's been, how do I get faster at the 5K or the marathon? Sometimes it's, how do I just like find a way to dig deeper? And that's been part of my transition into more of the ultra world of like, okay, I feel like I've gotten pretty close to my ceiling in the marathon, trained really hard. I've gotten, you know, kind of chipped away bit by bit by bit, but, you know, have kind of gotten stuck in that low to mid teens range and okay. Like what's next? Like what's the next thing that I can challenge myself with? And I think that's where ultra running came in for me. And, you know, I was someone for whom I always excelled as distances got better or excuse me, got longer. I always got better as, as distances got longer and that, you know, all the way from high school, you know, when I was 17 years old, it's like, I was better at the 5k than I was at the mile. And then in college, I was better at the 10k than I was at the 5k. And then as a pro, I was better at the half and then better at the marathon. And now it's like, okay, I was much better at the 50k than I was at the marathon. And now, you know, I haven't quite found my niche beyond that yet, but like I've had some success at 50 miles or 80k um, I won the U S championship for that in my first 50 mile race last fall. Um, so that, that was like a really big, like, oh, okay, yeah, this is, this is probably in my wheelhouse too. And, you know, even just dipping my toe into some of these like longer kind of trail races, like I, I don't really consider myself a trail runner yet. I've just touched the water a little bit with my toe, so to speak, but it's something that I'm really excited about. And so anyways, to go back to your question, I think goal setting for me is, is really what it's all about. It's like, that's the thing that gets me fired up. Like I love the process of training, but I love it because I'm working towards something and whether that's, you know, just finishing a 5k for you or, you know, running in the Olympic trials or the world championships or whatever it is, like having those goals, like that's, that's a really important part of like what can get you out the door. You know, like you said, accountability, being accountable and, making sure that you're getting all that training in that you need. 
Yeah, it's exactly the same with me, like throughout my running journey. Um, it's been the excitement of that chase of trying to get better that and then everything else falls into place because then you know what you're supposed to be doing this week because you've got something planned in 12 weeks. Um, uh, right. Yeah. Like, so during this time and the pandemic that the world's in, uh, have you still got some goals and um, have you been able to work out some goals and, and how have you coped with this um, period? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really interesting question. And it's, I think that, been the hardest part of this year for a lot of us as runners because we are often so regimented in our goal setting in our calendars you know in january of this year i had 18 months planned out in terms of the races i was going to do when i was going to be peaking versus taking rest time you know i had i had all that and like you know I'll, it, it'll change a little bit but i definitely had the big chunks and i had the races that i really wanted to focus on and uh, every single thing on that is, is obviously not happening. So um, now that was a big transition for me to be able to go from having for like 10 years being in this state where, like you said, I always know like this week I'm this far out from this race and I know what I have to be doing. And that's what motivates me this week to like get through those workouts or get through those runs. And I'm not usually someone for whom motivation is a big issue. Like I'm very internally motivated. Um, and I think I kind of like actively just took a step back and was like, this is kind of like a nice calm in the center of the storm here. Um, and I've been very mentally and physically taxing my body for a long time. And this, you know, you can look at this and it's very easy to get frustrated. And I still do. I'm not going to say like, I'm above that. Like there are still days where I'm like, damn it. I wish that this year weren't like this year. But I think the silver lining of that is like, it has very much forced me to take a step backward and just kind of take a more, a, like a less regimented approach to my running, a less strict approach to my running. And so for me, in terms of like actual goals that I have this year, they're much less concrete. They're things like I want to be really healthy. Like I've been running at a super high level for a long time. And there are a lot of just like little things that you're like, oh, you know, I should really address the strength and balance or this little, you know, tweak in my Achilles that flares up every once in a while. But again, you're always on that regimented schedule. And so it's very hard to do that and like fit that in when you're, counting down to a race like all the time so i've really been trying to do that that's been part of it and then the first half of the year i really just kind of went crazy and i was like all my races are canceled i'm just gonna do whatever i want and like, <laughs> again because it's so much less structured like usually i would never just like say yes to some you know something that would be pretty disruptive to my training so it's like you know i ran this 100k plus uh trail fkt and like near Mount Everest back in March. And then I did the quarantine backyard ultra, um, in, I don't know, April or something and ran like 110 K in one day or so. Like, like, so, so there's just been like all these things that I like really impulsively decided to do that is like so unlike me as an athlete. Like I would never ever do that stuff normally because I'm so like focused and strict about my training. Um, and it was, it was really fun. But then I realized after, doing that for a few months, I was like, Oh man, I'm just like kind of 
like getting into this cycle of like beating myself up and then like not really being a hundred percent and then doing like saying yes to something else. And it's really fun. But then, so I feel like that kind of took me through June and then like the last two months I've just been like, okay, I just need to like really reset, like take a hard reset here. Um, and so that's really what I've been doing the last couple of months. I, I moved out here to Flagstaff, Arizona. So I'm up here at altitude. We are at about a little over 2000 meters. Um, and yeah, I've just been focusing on getting healthy. Like I said, dealing with those little things. Like I have had an Achilles thing that's been bugging me on and off for like three years. Finally, and like taking the time, like saw PT a few times and, um, you know, got a really good diagnosis and some exercises to work on and work those into my schedule. So just like really focusing on that kind of stuff and not really worrying, like if I'm not, you know, crushing workouts right now, because there's not a lot that I'm preparing for at this point. So it's, it's really just about trying to get to, you know, maybe the mid fall or well for us. So like, you know, October or something feeling really strong and healthy and, and hungry, like psyched and, you know, motivated to get after it again. Yeah, no, that, that's a, that's a really cool response. Um, I think a lot of people can take a lot out of that. Um, and um, how I also came across you is uh, I've sort of been in the throes of like searching for some kind of goal uh, just to keep my motivation up. And uh, yeah, I came across uh, your website, uh, the the Chazki um, uh, Endurance Collective. Um, and I noticed that you've, you've come up with a few... Um, challenges um so virtual events so free global virtual yeah. events um do you mind um yeah telling everyone uh what you've come up with there yeah definitely so the first thing is yeah all of our events are free the virtual stuff um and that was something so we actually we did another event back in early june that i can talk a little bit about in a second but we we decided like way back we're like okay this we want to make something that is just accessible and gives people something to get excited about. And if that means we have to put a bunch of work into it and make no money, like I don't really care. We just wanted to have something cool that people could put on the calendar and like create a cool community event. That was really what it was all about. And so at all of our events, they're free to register for, we'll compile results. We put, hopefully come up with interesting races. We have prizes from sponsors um, and they're free. Now we sell others like the kind of normal accoutrements that you would want from a race that you would pay money for, like a medal and a t-shirt and a, you know, physical paper bib that we can mail to you. But we were like, okay, why would we not just make those things kind of a la carte? So like the people who want them can buy them as they would, if they're going to sign up for a race and pay 50 bucks for it or something anyways. Um, but then all those other people who don't want to pay $50 for you know, a virtual race or race t-shirt, those people can just register and run. And again, if, if 95% of the people just do that, I think it's a huge success because we're just getting people out and connected and motivated at a time when, you know, things are kind of tough and, you know, those other people, like if they really want their finishers medal, like, yeah, great. You can do that. And you just buy it for yourself. And, and that's it. Like it's, to me, it's, it's very simple. And I'm actually kind of surprised that other races aren't following suit there. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a really big thing that we wanted to do right away was, was make, make sure that the registration was, was free, um, and, and let as many people, you know, around the world get involved. So, so yeah, so the race we have, it's coming up on September 12th, um, and it's called the Chasky challenge. 
And this is the second in the series that we've done. The first one was back in June. And this race, it's really focused around the marathon distance because we knew a lot of people are going to be interested in marathons in the fall. And, you know, we've been playing this for a couple of months. We were pretty sure that most of the major marathons were going to get canceled, which of course they have. Um, and yet people still want to be a part of something. So we have an open marathon and then we also have a marathon relay, which I'm super psyched about. I'm going to be running in that. Um, and we've got, it's the, it's a three person relay. So the total distance between the three people is a full 42.2 K marathon. Um, so one person runs 19 K one person runs 13 K and one person runs 10 K. So those are the legs, um, men and women, you can mix it up, whatever you want. Um, but we've got an open race that's, uh, open to everybody for that. Um, and then we also have an elite competition with a whole bunch of world-class athletes. Um, we've got, I think, eight Olympians in that field, um, a bunch of guys who have run under 210 in the marathon, women that have run under 233. Uh, we've got Des Linden, who's the Boston Marathon champion, Jared Ward, who's a U.S. Olympian, multi-time U.S. champion. Um, so some really big names uh, involved in that event. And and the cool thing about this one as well that I'm really psyched about is that we're partnering with uh, two organizations uh, to raise money. So all of that stuff that I did talk about that costs money, the bibs and shirts and all that, all of the proceeds will go to these charities. We are not taking a dime for any of this. Um, and those two organizations are called Brave Like Gabe, which is a rare cancer foundation that was uh, – set up by Gabe Grunewald, uh, who sadly passed away last year of rare cancer. And then the foundation has continued in her name. And then the other one is called the Range of Motion Project, which is about uh, empowering uh, differently abled athletes. So they work mostly with amputees, people with prostheses. Um, and the reason that we partnered with them specifically is that, uh, I didn't even mention this, but the the third race that we have, again, to kind of make it as accessible as possible, is just a simple 5K. And the headliner for the 5K, his name is Brian Reynolds, and he's an American uh, double amputee runner. And he is going to attempt to set the world record for fastest 5K run by a double amputee. He's going to try and run under 16 minutes in the 5K, which is going to be super cool. <laughs> um, so that's going to kind of kick the weekend off on Friday night. Um, will be the live broadcast of his event. Um, and then people can run their own 5k at any time and, and yeah, all any fundraising done, will be, uh, donated to, to range of motion project with that event. Yeah. Awesome. And with the event in June, um, you were on a treadmill, weren't you? And, um, was it another 50, yeah. 50k on the treadmill? Yeah. So that, that was again, like one of the many crazy things I did in between yeah. like March and June, like, so yeah, between, between, February 29th, the last day of February, we had the Olympic marathon trials. I think it was like March 15th or 20th. I did this Everest hundred K nut like two or three weeks later, I did quarantine backyard. And then on June 6th, we ran the, um, the first Chosky challenge, which yeah, I ran 50 K on the treadmill and ran 242 something, um, which is actually faster than the outdoor world record. Um, but obviously it's treadmill, so it doesn't count. And, you know, I'm not going to pretend that it's as good as the world record. I know it's not, it's running on a treadmill from a physics perspective is always going to be a little bit easier, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was, that was just part of my crazy spring of like <laughs> racing a lot. 
um for me whatever i know whatever for mike wardian or someone that's like that's nothing that he could do that in like one month but for me doing that in two and a half months is a lot so but yeah the first the first event was really really cool it was um we had i think eight world records set uh in one night they were all on treadmills and it was really again we were just trying to try to think outside the box and be like okay what can we do that's both really exciting for fans like that's a big part of what I want to do with Chowski is help grow the sport um, and think about how to make it more engaging from a spectator perspective and a fan's perspective. So we wanted to create an event where uh, the, the fans, the running fans could both participate so they can go run their own race and then they can also tune in and watch um, some kind of elite competition happening, uh, you know, with really high level people and, and, you know, not to my own harm, but like we had big names in that race as well. And I'm talking about, you know, Sarah Hall and John Ranieri and uh, Max King, Mario Mendoza. Like these, these are really, really high level, you know, us and, and, you know, internationally renowned athletes. So it was, it was very, very cool event to be a part of and just to see how positive the reception was there. And, you know, we took a lot of what we learned from that and applied it to the September race. And I think that it's going to be, you know, an even, even better event that time. Yeah, and then the third event um, is scheduled for November the twenty eighth, uh, and um, yep. yeah, it's going to be a fifty k. Yeah, so we actually had originally talked about doing uh, do, having this event be part of the September race, and we decided it was just too much to try and do it once. And originally, it was going to be a hundred k, and we we're going to run the unofficial 100k world championships but then iau announced they were doing the six hour solidarity run and it was a couple weeks before and, and it just seemed like too much too soon to try and fit in um and we wanted to, to kind of give the 50k its own separate spotlight but yeah the idea was to take the same kind of idea that we had put together with this relay where we have people running against each other, but all over the world at the same time, kind of like wings for life. Um, you know, if you've heard of that race, similar model, um, but have it, have it essentially be just the athletes organizing this thing. You know, IAU just canceled 50 K world championships literally a couple of days ago, but everyone knew that it was going to get canceled for months. Uh, it was obvious. Um, and so we've been organizing this for a while and yeah, we really just like, we, again, we realized in June when we planned the first Chosky Challenge race that, like, we as the athletes have a lot of power, that we have, you know, we're all connected to each other. We all, everyone kind of knows each other, or at least through, like, one degree of separation. It's pretty easy to get in touch with each other. And we realized, like, if we all just agree to do something, it becomes big because the media will follow the high level athletes. And once the media come, then the sponsorship money comes and the audience comes and it becomes a big thing. And that's, you know, we saw this happen with the first Chosky challenge race and like it all happened in like a week and a half. It was like the craziest week and a half ever it went from like a very small thing on our team to like this huge, you know, international event. And that's really what we've started thinking about with the 50 K um, with the unofficial worlds was like, we know like, most of the good ultra runners in the world, or at least we're connected to them. And if we could just get everybody to agree, Hey, we're all just going to target this race. We're going to follow these rules. Um, you know, we as Chosky just pitched a bunch of prize money at first and said, Hey, this is what we're putting up, um, to kind of get that critical mass started. Like once you have the critical mass of athletes involved, then 
everything else will follow like the athletes. And, I, and that's, again, as someone who's been a pro athlete for a while and been involved with different sponsorships and seen a lot of the inside of the sport and stuff, like the athletes have a lot of power. And I think that a lot of the time we feel like we don't because we are beholden to, you know, the shoe companies or, you know, the, the federations, but I, we don't need a federation to put on a badass event. You know, we can just put it on ourselves and that's what we learned in June. And that's, and that's what I'm hoping to do, you know, both in September and November and then going forward. Yeah. Well, it's, it definitely um, caught my attention and uh, I caught a few of the um, other guys that I am friends with down here in Melbourne, um, Australia. Um, and yeah, we're, we're certainly interested to be part of the 50 K um, in, in November. And um, I'm hoping to get a few people involved with the, um, event um, in September as well. Um, I wanted to change track a little bit and yeah, yeah. go over um, a typical um, training um, uh, plan for a 50k that you normally like. What's worked for you in the past? So back in 2018, uh, in terms yeah. of the numbers, the long runs, the volume, uh, yeah. What, what do you sort of, how do you plan a, a map out a 50K attempt? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, and I, I gave a whole like 60 minute lecture about this like a couple of weeks ago because we were talking about kind of like specific ultra training and the difference between 50K and marathon. Um, so I'll try not to like go too far down the rabbit hole, but I, <laughs> I'll just warn you that I can talk for a long time about this stuff. Um, so... I guess two, two things. So I've actually, cause I, I kind of just did this in, um, when I was preparing for that treadmill race as well. Um, I think the 2018 attempt was unique because it was one of the few times where I did the entire buildup at altitude, um, and like pretty high altitude. We were down in Quito, Ecuador, which is at like 2,800 meters. Um, so that's, it's very, it's, you know, for, for running training, that's quite high um for high speed running at least um so that was a very that was a unique buildup for me and that one of the staples for me in terms of both marathon and 50k is doing a lot of long run work long workouts that have a lot of volume at your goal race pace so so same for marathon same for 50k 50k workouts will obviously be a little bit slower and maybe a little bit longer um, but either just like continuous runs at your goal race pace. So, you know, with a marathon, maybe you do 25 K up to 30 K near the end of the season at your goal race pace. If you're really strong, um, you know, high mileage runner. Um, and then for the other side would be basically very long interval workouts. So things like, you know, reps of five K with one K recovery, um, where you would run 5k at marathon pace, 1k kind of, you know, normal run pace. So not like a jog, but, you know, for a high level male, you might run 5k in 16 minutes and 1k in four minutes or something like that. And then you would, but you would do that five or six times. Um, and you could do that same workout again for 50k, obviously it's going to be slower. Um, and maybe you do one more, maybe you do six or seven instead of five or six. Um, so 2018 was an interesting cycle because, you just cannot do those workouts at that altitude. They're too hard. Um, you can't 
run that far at that pace at 2,800 meters. Um, so we kind of had to get creative and what I found worked really well, and this is very specific to altitude, but so I'll just touch on it was we hit essentially the effort that was appropriate for 50 K for longer sessions. And then we hit the actual speed that was the target pace for shorter sessions. So we would do, um, still relatively high volume, but just much shorter reps. So we would do reps of maybe 1K or 1,500 meters or 2K at sea level 50K race pace, which for us at the time was 315 um, per K. So we do, you know, quite a few of those. It might be, uh, I'd have to like look at my logs, but we were definitely like the whole workout would end up being like 30 or 40 kilometers long. Um, So you're probably doing something like you might do like 15 times 2k with 400 meters. So it's like, they're not that hard because you're running 2k at 50k pace, but because the altitude is so high, it's still pretty taxing. And then you're still getting a lot of volume in the legs, um, over the course of that workout. Um, and then we would do longer runs that would basically be similar to those ones I was just describing at sea level, but the pace would be adjusted. So instead of 315, you know, those, uh, longer reps would be at 330 or 335 um, so that, you know, the effort, the heart rate, whatever that is, you know, from an aerobic perspective, you're training the right system. Um, but it's important, I think, to touch both because if you don't actually run mechanically at race pace, it's, you're not going to be able to do that efficiently at sea level. Um, so it's, it's, it's important to be able to do both of those. Um, so anyways, that's 2018. It was, it was a little bit of a weird year. Um, again, just because I was doing the whole thing so high up, usually I would, I would only do part of a build up that high. Um, and, and it's a lot easier to do those longer sessions down lower. Um, but in general, I guess like to go back to the basic principles, it's like we talk about the funnel and this, uh, this idea that you working backwards, you're kind of going towards the bottom of the funnel. So the bottom of the funnel is, is race specificity, which is, you know, right, very close to your race pace, you know, within five seconds a K say of, of your race pace. So workouts, um, where you're really focusing on that and you're essentially just extending your ability to do that. So you might start with, um, you know, a shorter continuous run and some shorter intervals. And then over the course of the last say two months of your training cycle, what you're doing is you're extending that ability to just run continuously at that pace. And then those interval workouts, you're making the intervals longer and you're making the rest shorter. Maybe you're making the rest a little bit quicker as well. Maybe you're extending the total volume there too. Um, and so that's to me always the meat of any buildup, whether it's a marathon, a 50 K, even a, a 5 K. Um, but obviously short, shorter track workouts present a little bit of a different, uh, need in terms of stimulus, but especially long road races, it's all about getting to those last eight to 10 weeks where you can really focus on the specificity of race pace. So then working backwards, you have, um, this transitionary phase where you're doing a lot of longer runs at, you know, slightly slower than race pace around 90% of race pace. And then, you know, quicker interval running around 110%. And then if you zoom out even farther, again, the funnel is widening. And at the very end, you have what we would usually call base phase or fundamental phase, which is 
really just about um, extending the ability to run for a long time. So without kind of regardless of pace. So, you know, for a, a marathon or a 50K, usually it's, you know, you're kind of trying to get to the point where you can run about your race time, um, but at just whatever pace, but without that being super stressful. So if you're trying to run a three-hour marathon, you want to be able to do a three-hour run a handful of times and have that not seem super intimidating anymore. Um, you know, if you're, if you're much slower than that, like if you're a four or five hour marathoner, you probably don't want to be running all the way to four and five hours, but you still want to be able to get at least to that, you know, three hour mark, um, and be able to, to handle that and not, not be super intimidated by it because then, you know, going back in the other direction, you're going to start adding quality into that long run. Um, so that, Really, that fundamental base base phase can be the longest one because depending on where you're starting from, it's for some people it could take a year to get to that point. You know, um, if you're running your first marathon or something, you maybe you've run a 5K. It might take might take a year to build up to the point where you can run two and a half or three hours um, and not have that be you know something that puts you out for a whole week afterwards. So you want it's it's important to be really patient and. And I think that's, um, you know, going back to what we were talking about before with this year, that's something that I think a lot of us have learned is like, sometimes it's good to take the pressure of the race off the calendar and, and focus on those things. Um, but anyway, so that's, yeah, that, that's, that's the idea of the funnel. You start far out from race pace, both on both ends, you want to be doing top end stuff for mechanics. You want to be doing long, slower stuff for building up the ability or yeah, to handle the race race time you have the transition period in the middle and then you have the specific period at the end and that's really where the magic happens yeah nice nice and um how many miles uh are you roughly covering a week yourself tyler and uh yeah i remember just listening to you on another podcast that you said that you sort of work off roughly a a 20 day cycle and then then you ensure that you have sort of this uh three days of super light days where you you're trying to sort of super compensate and, and recover. Um, yeah. yeah. How important is all this? Yeah. Mileage. Um, I'm someone who has been relatively healthy over the years and has been able to handle a lot of volume. So I, I've run as much as like 175 miles ish in a week, which is like 260 K or something yeah. maybe, but that's like, that's like peak all time. Maybe I did like two or three weeks at that. Really my sweet spot is probably around like 240 K or about 150 miles. Um, when I'm like really in the meat of a big buildup. Um, and really I, I think any, anywhere between like 200 and 250 K has been kind of what I've settled in at over the years. Like I think it's like we're talking about with races and goal settings, mileage was always something that I felt like I wanted to keep pushing and I think as I've continued to do that, like once I've gotten above 150 miles a week, uh, I just found that it was like a point of diminishing returns. It felt like I wasn't getting that much more out of it. My workouts felt like they weren't like I was having a hard time, you know, being recovered enough to do workouts running that much. Um, and I think just, you know, for a marathon, especially even for 50 K, it just, it just didn't seem necessary. And it's a lot of risk once you get up that high and you're just running so much. So I think for me, yeah, that one, 
120 to 150 or like 200 to 250 K that's really like the sweet spot for me at this point. Um, and that's, that's where I'd probably try and settle. Um, I'm sorry. What was the other half of the question? Well, and then you, you said you worked on a 20 day cycle. Oh yeah. The cycles. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when we look at kind of that medium scale cycling, I mean, everything that we do in training is rest and recovery at, at every scale, all the way from, you know, a single interval workout where we're running hard and then we're running easy to a week where we have easy days and hard days. And then we have this kind of mid scale, which is, you know, up weeks and down weeks, people call them. Um, and then all the way, you know, to, you have like a season and then an off period. Um, so there's, there's this balance of rest and recovery at every scale. And for me, that's, yeah, that's the scale or, or that's the pattern that is, I found works really well at that scale is going really, really hard for about three weeks, um, somewhere between that, like 18 and like 22, 23 day range. Um, and then taking three days, like relatively speaking, extremely light. Like for me, it's, you know, 40 to 60 minutes of jogging a day, which, you know, when you're doing 150 miles a week is feels like nothing basically. Um, so that's the schedule that I've kind of come to. Um, but I would the caveat with that is like, I feel like that balance of work and recovery has progressed a lot as I've just gotten older and have run more. So I would never recommend that someone emulate that who is kind of getting started. I, you know, as a coach, I have beginner runners that run like one week up, one week down. Um, and then maybe you do two weeks up, one week down after a few months of that. And then you do three weeks up, one week down. And then, and again, that's, this is what I did too, as an athlete in terms of how I progressed. And then, you know, over the years, it's like, oh yeah, maybe I don't need a down week. Maybe I just take three super, super light days. And then I get back into it in the second half of that week. And, you know, it's something that I do. I know lots of athletes who don't, I know pro many, many pro athletes who don't do that. And they take a kind of standard down week, but I actually find that I feel better. I respond better mentally and physically to take that super, super hard cut for a few days versus a lot of people will do a lighter cut. So maybe they're, they cut their volume by 25% or something and then do that for a week. Um, but they're still, you know, doing some hard workouts in there. I find that that is less refreshing to me than having those three, you know, almost, almost off days essentially where I'm running so little that it's like, okay, mentally and physically, my body's getting a really, really intense break right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I've also heard you, um, mention, um, a session that you do where you do something like 2200s um off a short short recovery and this was at altitude um for your top end speed but then it also doubled as quite a tough aerobic session because because you were at yeah. altitude and because of the short recovery um like how, how much do you focus on um your mechanics and um efficiency and and, and speed and as a sort of a marathoner and ultra runner um, uh, how often do you do strides and, um, and sessions like that? Yeah, great question. And so I do strides almost every day, first of all. Um, and that's, I think been really helpful for me over the years. I'm a hundred percent slow twitch guy. I don't have a lot of natural speed. I've never run fast in the, 
800 or the mile or anything. I was never fast even in, in college. Um, and like, if you look at my, you know, best times across the board, uh, they're much worse when you get down to even 5k, um, much, you know, I wouldn't even make, you know, division one college nationals in the United <laughs> States. Like I, I, I wouldn't even be a good university level runner in the 5k. Um, but you know, my marathon time is a lot better than that, relatively speaking. So I think that strides have been really helpful for me. I think of them like eating your vegetables. And I mean, first of all, I love eating vegetables, but like <laughs> some people don't, and it's like, they're good for you. And that's kind of the analogy. I think of like, a, I, I had a training partner, um, who, who we would do these like every single day. And, you know, it's like, all right, man, time to go eat the broccoli. Like sometimes you just are like really tired and it's like, oh, I don't want to do this, but like you, you always feel better. And that's, I, I, that's the thing that I would stress is like strides aren't a workout. They're not sprints. Um, you know, sometimes we do strides and they're like barely faster than our run pace, but it's just about accelerating, focusing a little bit more on form, focusing a little bit more on turnover um, and having that structured piece built in daily is just been super, super critical. And again, I would say this is not, if you're not doing strides, you know, saying this, don't do strides every day, like do strides twice a week for a while. And then add in a stride yeah. day. Like this is another <laughs> one of those things. It's like when you hear people talk about, Oh, they ran 150 miles a week. It's like, don't go from 40 miles a week to 150. Like that's not how, like it took me 10 years of building up to get to that point, you know? And, and the same thing with strides. It's like, you know, I have always done strides. My high school coach, my college coach, all of them thought they were important. And I'm very grateful for that. And once I got out of school, I kept doing them and yeah, I thought they're super important. So I think that's, it's super valuable. It's like secret speed. It's like a, nice little benefit that you can give yourself every day. Um, the higher end stuff I also think is really important. And I try to keep that in, um, both my own training and most of my athletes training, um, you know, for almost any race distance. And the reason for that is, and, you know, we're not talking about like 5k workouts here. We're talking about relatively short workouts that are at pretty high speed, um, so to me, these are mostly neuromuscular workouts. They're mostly about fiber recruitment and mechanics, um, and mechanical efficiency. And that's valuable whether you're running a hundred miles or one mile, um, it's valuable all the time. And training is always a balance of what are we doing versus what are we not doing? Because we obviously can't do everything. So if you're training for a you know, UTMB, a hundred mile trail race through the mountains that takes 24 hours, like, okay, probably don't need to do those sessions quite as often because like, honestly, you're not even going to be running that much of that. You know, it's a lot of hiking. It's a lot of, you know, basically shuffling along and, and it might not even, it's probably, you know, relative to the other things that you could be doing on that day. Um, you don't need to do those sessions every week, but if you're running a marathon, um, or, or even a half marathon or 50 K I think it's, it's really, really important. And so, yeah, I, I kind of stumbled into some of these workouts because that group that I was training with back in 2018 and, you know, I've trained with a lot over the years down in Quito, Ecuador, which is, 
it's basically their Olympic development program for Ecuador and uh, coached by this, this great guy, Franklin Tenorio, who's a sub-210 marathoner. Um, he's still really competitive. He's in his mid-40s. I think he ran like 220 or something recently. Um, yeah, just a stud. <laughs> and and yeah, he really emphasizes this for his marathoners. Is like, ev- And they do it every single week. They Well, maybe not every single week, but almost every week they do a session like the one you mentioned, like, you know, 200s off very short recovery. Um, so they're they're fast enough where it's like, you know, it's probably faster than sea level 5K pace. Um, and again, we're at 2,800 meters, like 9,000 feet. So it's quite quick, but it's not, um, it, it's not like a, a true speed workout where you have a lot of recovery and you're starting fresh each time. It's like, you know, we would do these where it's like you run, t- I think we would do 200. We would often do them like where they start every four, like every lap. So sometimes we would do like two fifties fast and then one fifty kind of float, um, or 200 and 200 or 300 and 100. Or we would also, one he really liked to give us, which is like kind of a nice little recovery session almost is just like basically strides and floats. So like you, you stride the straight and then float the curves. It's like a hundred, 100, 100, 100, and that's a lap. And then you would keep doing that and that's a session that's i really like to do and we would do as much as 10k of that sometimes um because it ends up being pretty quick if you're feeling decent and you can really keep the floats relatively quick on the recovery um but you're still getting a lot of just it's basically you're doing a ton of strides you know um and, and that's that's really what it's all about so yeah i think that having that higher end speed even if you're not going to come anywhere close to that on race day it's still really really important because you know your body will naturally run with better mechanics when you try to run fast your body is pretty good at that um and so the more that we can do that it's going to translate down to to other speeds yeah yeah no like so so much great information and insight to like how you train like tyler and um but i thought it was like a really good point what you mentioned before because like so many runners, um, we're always looking for a silver bullet and we listen to someone and we're like, oh, so-and-so does that. Um, so yeah. Yeah, maybe I should do the same. Um, but it's just like, <laughs> I thought it was a really good point where you stress the need for patience and um, yeah. to, to slowly build up your long runs to, to something that looks a bit different or slowly add strides in rather than every day, you know, just slowly add them in and, um, and slowly build your mileage. Um, but it's just a, it's such a trap that so many runners fall into. Um, uh, but yeah, that need for patience um, uh, is, is so important. Um, probably one you've got a really influential um, coach, um, John Waldron. Um, I think he's yeah. still your coach, um, and he's coached you yep. since um, school. Uh, you 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 didn't realize um, um, uh, that you could be a better runner through training initially. Like I, I think um, I've read that um, you just thought that if you're a fast runner, you're a fast runner. If you're a slow runner, you're a slow runner. Um, did, yeah. It sounds like he's been a big inspiration with teaching you the value of training and that you can really train your body to amazing levels um, and to the levels that you've achieved today, I suppose, just through patience and, uh, and uh, sticking at it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, John we've been working together for 13 years now and that first lesson now it seems 
almost silly, but I think that there are still, I still meet people who say they have the same experience or, you know, hopefully someone will hear this or hear me, hear me say it somewhere else. But like, yeah, I thought that running was like being tall. Like that's the analogy that I like to use. I thought it was like, you're tall. You're like being tall. It's not necessarily a judgment call. Like some people might say that, but it's like, you're just tall. You're like, you can't try harder at being tall. And I thought that's kind of what running was like, was like, okay, there are kids on my high school team who are fast and I'm not one of them. And whatever it is, like, I just got born this way, you know, and that's, that's, that's it. And I really didn't understand that I could be as good as those kids if I just trained and took, took running a little bit more seriously. Like I, it felt like they were so far ahead that it was just totally impossible and I would never be anywhere. And and in, in retrospect, they weren't, you know, I went to a pretty small school and these, no one on our team was running that fast. So in in retrospect, it's, it's like almost laughable now how much I know about the sport that, Oh yeah, of course, like you're a 20 minute guy. Of course you could go to being an 18 minute guy. That's not crazy at all. Um, but at the time that felt like this ocean between us that was just totally unbridgeable. And John taught me two really interesting things. One was just like, A, that you can start to cross that ocean and that you're not stuck where you are, that you can be faster, that you can, that training will have an impact and it will make you better. And that to some extent and for a long time, work in will equal results out. Um, you know, at least, uh, if, if we average that out over time, maybe it's not immediate, but it will happen. Um, but the really powerful lesson that he taught me, and this is really why I've stuck with running for so long and, and stayed so close with John is because he taught me that I, that, that the, and this goes way back to our original questions about goal setting, that. I am someone who is super, super motivated by self-improvement. And he really showed me running as a way to channel that, that I fell in love with this idea of running as this quantifiable thing where I could see, oh my gosh, I'm faster this week than I was two weeks ago. I'm running the same course or I'm running these workouts and they're getting faster and at first, that's what it was all about for me. It was all about like the splits on the workout day or the race results. And I think as I've gotten older, it's become more and more just about finding out how I can get the most out of myself, you know, in kind of a broader sense of the word. And some of that is still, yeah, I still want a PR. I still want to, you know, win big races that I haven't been able to before and set course records and set American records and stuff. Um, But it's also just about how do I get the most out of myself as a person? How do I influence other people in a positive way? Um, How do I connect with others? Like, how do I just push myself to do things that I'm afraid of? Um, Or if that seemed really hard and scary to me. Um, And he, I think he would say like, oh, you already had that in you. And I just kind of like, you know, maybe showed it to you a little bit or something, but he was really the one who, who I feel like kind of got me focused on the right track there. Like I was definitely had a a challenging adolescence, like a lot of people. And he was the first person and running was the first thing where I really felt like, okay, I have goals. Like you talked about that, 
were so powerful and motivating to me as a teenager. And, you know, those goals and like trying to find my own limits and trying to find out what I can do, like that's still what motivates me today. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you're really tough minded, like to be able to run a 50K <laughs> on a treadmill or to run 50Ks <laughs> or 100Ks, like it takes incredible strength of mind. Um, this was a question I really wanted to ask you. And I mean, where does your mind go on those hard runs when it is getting painful and how do you stay on task and not let the race get the better of you? Gosh, that's a great question. Um, there's a few different answers here. Um, partly is I try to be grateful for those moments. I kind of like to try and turn it around where it's like, okay, you know, like the 50 K on the treadmill, for example, it's like you worked really hard to get to this point, you know, and you get into the middle of that race and it's starting to feel pretty hard and there's still a long way to go. And you're like, Oh man, (laughs) what have I got myself into? (laughs) And part of me is like, yeah, you can feel sorry for yourself, but it's also like, all right, this is like, this is what you spent the last however many months preparing for, you know, like this is that moment. Like all those times you did those hard workouts and you didn't stop was just so you could do this right now. And this is only going to last for another hour or something, you know, and like, this is the most important hour of the last six months, you know, is right now. And this is that moment. Um, so I think being able to turn that around and, you know, I, I think back to the, like a little mantra that my dad taught me a long time ago when I was talking about being nervous or feeling pressure before a big competition. And he said, um, I don't know where he got it from. I don't think he made it up, but he said, <laughs> um, he taught me to think the pressure is a privilege. And what, what he meant by that was that when you're feeling a lot of pressure, part of that is because you have the possibility to fail. But the other side of that is because you have the possibility to do something really cool and special that you really care about. Um, and that's the part that he taught me to use as kind of a way to reframe that is. So instead of thinking, Oh my gosh, I have this 50 K race and there are 20,000 people watching and I've like talked all this big game. And what if I don't do it? It's like, okay, I've got myself fit enough and I've got myself into this position and on this stage where I have a bunch of people watching me and I'm going to try and run the fastest 50 K ever. And that's really cool. Like most people don't get to this point and I never thought I would get to this point 10 years ago. And like, holy shit, how cool is this? You know? And so I think that's a big part of it too, is just like reframing that um, and just trying to turn it around. So it becomes something positive. Um, That's, that's really been a way that I've dealt with stress and pressure, especially around big moments um, or like really big stage competitions. Yeah. Nice. That's really neat. And I saw on your blog, um, Strive, your Strive blog that you wrote um, a bit of a um, piece on if you fall short of um, yeah your goals um, that uh, it doesn't really matter like as long as you learn from them um, and and that was like a I thought that was a really good point because um, 
you know, sometimes we can like set all these goals, um, but then it's almost the fear of failing that, so we don't even, um, we don't even try to do them. Um, but yeah, obviously like um, with what you've achieved, like I was, I was watching um, the YouTube clip of your 2015 half marathon at, at the Boston um, marathon pre-race expo, I think it was. And so it would have yeah. been in front of a lot of people. And I was like, how, how did you actually have like the confidence to, to, to go, oh, I, I can do this and, and do it in, on a stage like that? Um, like that was quite, I, I, I don't know. That's what I was thinking when I was watching it um, just before. Um, so yeah, I, I think um, a lot of people can take a bit from what we've just said uh, for sure. Yeah, I think I think the treadmill ones are interesting because there's nowhere to hide. It's like if you're in a big race, like I ran at 50k World Championships in Romania last fall, and I dropped out at like 5k because I was sick, and I was like, "Well, that's a bummer." But like, only the people who are really paying attention to me are even going to notice. You know, like there's still a huge race going on. There's still people that are going to have great races. Someone's still going to win. You know, people aren't watching that race to watch me. You know, other than like the few fans of mine who happen to be paying attention and it's like, okay, they're going to be bummed, but like, whatever, I'm obviously bummed too. Um, but the treadmill races is like, yeah, you're the only one there. And it's like, not, you're either going to do it or you're not. Um, cause it, like, usually that's how they are. Like they've always been set up as these kind of like world record attempts. That's, that's how these events have always been with treadmills. Like ours was the first one where it was actually kind of a race, but even there it's still, you know, we had, three athletes. It was me and Max King and Mike Wardian that were running 50 K against each other. Um, and we we're also chasing the record. So it's, it's, that one's definitely more stressful, I think in terms of like just feeling the spotlight a little bit more intensely. Um, but again, I, I just try to like, like that 2015 race that you cited is like, yeah, it's so much fun. It was like one of the most fun events I ever did. And that in particular, because I grew up in greater Boston, like my family is from there. I went to school there. So I had this, like, I knew a lot of the people in that crowd, which again, in some ways is like, makes it more stressful. Cause like, <laughs> oh my gosh, all these people know me versus like it being a bunch of strangers. Um, but it was also, it was just, yeah, it was such a cool event. And like, obviously it's cool because it went really well. And like, if I had like pooped my pants and like run really <laughs> slow, that would have been terrible. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I think that that was part of it. it was like, I was having a lot of fun there. I was really psyched to be there. It was a, you know, I, I didn't feel that, that crowd felt more like something that got me amped up instead of something that made me nervous, you know? And I think that's, that's the big distinction is like trying to find ways to make these things that can seem really scary into things that are positive and get you psyched up and motivated. That's, that's what I've tried to do. Unreal. Yeah. Tyler, I've been so appreciative of your time today and really enjoyed the chat and so, um, thankful for you um yeah agreeing to come on and having a chat um where can um, people find out more about you or um the chasky challenge coming up um if they're interested to to look into it yeah definitely so the challenge uh you can register for free it's uh chasky c-h-a-s-k-i dot run is our url and then if you go to slash challenge that's all the details for all the races this fall, the registration link is right on there, or you can just go right to chosky.run slash register. Um, and if you are interested in coaching, um, you can get that there as well. Uh, just click the join button at the top. Uh, if you want to coach, if you're looking for help guidance, um, we do coach people all over the world. So we're based in the U S but we've got athletes all over the world at this point. 
Um, and then, yeah, for me, uh, I'm on social media everywhere. It's Tyler C. Andrews. Um, that's my handle pretty much on everything. Um, so yeah, hope to, hope to interact with some of you guys. Feel free to send me a message. I love to interact with people and especially people from all over the world. So I'd, I'd love to get out to Australia. So send me a message if you have a good like FKT or race that can get me out to Australia. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much, um, Tyler. I'll, I'll um, include all of that stuff in the show notes. Um, yeah, thanks again for a great chat. Awesome. Thank you, Dan. It's been great.